Well, good morning and welcome to Tri-Cities Church. Again, welcome if this is your first time with us. Hey, in your seat, there should have been these cards. Um, these are just cards, so it's just a way of us connecting at Tri-Cities Church. And so if this is your first time visiting with us, we'd love for you to fill out one of these. Uh, let us know that you are here. Fill out whatever information you're comfortable uh, filling out. We won't, uh, we won't show up at your door unless you uh, ask us to. Uh, and, and, uh, and then we, yeah, we, we'll do that. We'll give you a call first. Um, but then on the back, there's a section where you can fill out any kind of prayer requests that you might have, especially going into the holiday season. A lot of times it's um, that this holiday season, that this Christmas season will be a, a little less stressful, right? That may be a, that's a good prayer request for all of us. Uh, from time to time, we find ourselves stressed out by uh, just all the things we have to get done. But, but fill out one of those and we'll, uh, we, uh, we gather here on Mondays, Jamie and I gather and we, we spend time praying about any need, any concern that we know about, and anything that people tell us about on these cards. So we'd love to know about that. Uh, last week, we began a new series called Ugly Christmas. And uh, we, we were looking last week at just how um, we, we looked at, at uh, it, it. We talked about a movie first, but then we talked about how, how dysfunctional our families at times can be. And sometimes there are certain people that are looking forward to Christmas, and there's other people that are like, I hate this time of year, right? Because I have to get together with some people that seem to rub me the wrong way every time I see them. And we looked at three principles from the Scripture uh, that, that would uh, help us make God supreme uh, uh, in our Christmas, right? God's reign to be seen clearly in, in our Christmas. And the first one was uh, letting go of past hurts. And, and this one's actually been sitting with me almost the whole week. I've been thinking about it, and this morning I got up thinking about it, but this idea of letting go of past hurts, forgiveness. Uh, how are you doing with that? Yeah. Um, you know, it's, it's, we said last week that that's at the core of the Christmas story, right? Without forgiveness, there is no Christmas, right? God sent his son, Jesus, just for another baby to be born in this earth, but that he might forgive us and set us free, right? And because he's forgiven, the question was like, who are we to think that if God has let us off the hook, he's chosen to forgive us, that we are in any position, any place to hold someone else on the hook, and then in conversation just this week and thinking about this, I'm like, well, and even in reality, we're really not hurting any, holding anybody else on the hook, right? They're going on about their life. They might have even forgotten about it. We're still holding on to it. We're still sitting in that pain and anger and frustration. And they're going on. They haven't thought, thought twice about it, right? And so forgiveness, unforgiveness at least, really doesn't make, doesn't make sense unless you're not forgiving somebody and you have them tied up in your basement, Right? And if that's the case, we need to talk. <laughs> we need to talk. That's like the only time unforgiveness makes, makes sense, right? Uh, otherwise, the other person, we're just hurting ourselves. Um, but the scriptures call us, say, we forgive not because we want ourselves off the hook, but we forgive because Jesus has forgiven us. So let's take that seriously this Christmas, right? Let's, let's really take forgiveness seriously. And maybe even... Um, this, this might be, and this is what hit me this morning, I was like, maybe it's developing a plan going into Christmas, right? Before the holiday, before anybody ever comes over the house or you go anywhere, you say, hey, I know this is going to happen, right? I know so-and-so is just going to say something that's idiotic and it's going to rub me the wrong way and, and uh, that's just the way they do. And so I'm going to forgive in advance. Maybe that's a step you need to take and, and enjoy your Christmas more um, because you're not holding on to stuff and hurts. Letting go of, of hurts, all right? So let, let's pray, and we'll get into our message for this morning. 
God, we give you thanks that we get to study the scriptures this morning. God, we're thankful that we get to open the Bible and learn about you and what you did through Jesus Christ. And God, this season, I pray that, um, yeah, I pray that you'll help us to understand more clearly, not just how we should live during this time of year, but how we should live every time of year. So God, please teach us this morning. It's in your son Jesus Christ's name we pray. Amen. (laughs) That was an amen for you. (laughs) Have you ever noticed... uh, (laughs) Have you ever noticed how American culture, our society, is obsessed with youthfulness? Think about all the images projected of beauty in media, right? Typically, it's a young person, right? Typically, even someone in their 20s. Uh, our, our society is, is just totally infatuated with this ideal of beauty being this uh, glowing, youthful image. You go into any store, right? A CVS or Target or Walmart, any, any store. You go to the cosmetic section, right? You got all these different products. You got um, uh, wrinkle-reducing creams, right? You got this uh, 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 lotions to make you look revitalized and uh, shampoos to rejuvenate your hair and to, uh, to make you have this more youthful Appearance, right? You have this, this uh, a makeup section that's filled with all these things, and so constantly we're bombarded by. Now, now, um, now, let me say this: I don't believe that uh, youthfulness is true beauty, but I do believe uh, that our society so deeply ingrains that in us and teaches that in us, and part of it's just marketing, um, that we begin to believe that, right? And then we begin buying these products. We don't even know what, if it's working, right? We use it for a year and no wrinkles really disappear, right? And we keep using it because we're taught that, that yeah, in this, this world, beauty is, is youthfulness, right? I, I went to see a dermatologist like um, two years ago, and it had nothing to do with like um, um, uh, wrinkles or, or skin blemishes or any of that kind of stuff. And I'm, I'm sitting there talking to this guy, right? And, and he asked me to make this face, right? Like kind of look surprised and smile like this, kind of, it's kind of like that kind of face. And, and he began pointing out the wrinkles in my forehead and the wrinkles on my in my cheeks. And 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 for like eight hundred some odd dollars, he could inject some Botox in and deal with that, right? He knew, he knew what I did. He knew that I was standing in front of people and speaking on Sunday mornings. And, and somehow he felt like you all were that concerned about the wrinkles in my forehead because I don't see the wrinkles in my forehead when I'm standing up here. If you're bothered by the, hey, um, there's a bucket on that table. If you want to write a check for $800, I guarantee you I will deal with, I, I can't guarantee that. Have you ever seen... Have you ever seen the needle that they inject Botox with? <laughs> I'm just living with my wrinkles. Don't put a check. If you want to give $800 to the church, you can do that. Um, um, but our society is absolutely kind of infatuated with this idea of youthfulness, getting rid of these signs of age. But the reality is, in the world we live in, everything begins to show its age and time, right? You can only get a shot that'll last for so long. You can only use wrinkle cream that will reduce wrinkles for so long. After life happens and it takes its course, life begins to catch up with us. And life begins to show its age. Now, today, if you don't like it, right, there's all kinds of procedures you can have done, right? You can, um, what do you, you can, you can lift it, you can tuck it, you can, 
replace it. You can stuff it, right? You can make your body look off. I, I read um, this week that over $10 billion, 2009, over $10 billion was spent on cosmetic procedures, right? And this was in the middle of the recession, in the middle of Americans complaining, foreclosure on houses, people losing their job, highest unemployment we had seen in years, $10 billion on cosmetic procedures because we're taught to think that there's this image of beauty that we can attain if we just looked a little more youthful, a little more vibrant. Now, when I read Luke chapter 2, and this may sound odd to you, uh, you may not look at me the same after I say this, um, but and when I read Luke chapter 2, one of the first things that I think about is how ugly Mary and Joseph's feet must have been <laughs> when they got to Bethlehem after walking from Nazareth to Bethlehem. <laughs> we got some feet. Oh, yeah. yeah. Um, so l- l- let's look at Luke chapter 2, and l- you'll see what I'm saying. In Luke chapter 2, this is just the Christmas story from the Gospel of Luke. I'm going to read, uh, I'm going to, read to verse 7 for right now. Listen to what it says. It says, In those days Caesar Augustus issued a decree that a census should be taken of the entire Roman world. This was the first census that took place while Quirinius was governor of Syria. And everyone went to their town to register. So Joseph went up from the town of Nazareth in Galilee to Judea to Bethlehem, the town of David, because he belonged to the house and line of David. He went there to register with Mary, who was pledged to be married to him and was expecting a child. While they were there, the time came for the baby to be born. And she gave birth to her firstborn, a son. She wrapped him in cloth and placed him in a manger because there was no guest room available for them. Now, this story is a powerful story that we read every year this time, uh, and it talks about the birth of Jesus Christ. But often the part we look, look over is this journey that Mary and Joseph had to take, right? From Nazareth to Bethlehem, right? They had to take this long journey, and it's likely by foot, right? And there's a couple of reasons there. Now, now let me just say this just at, at the front, that often we read a lot into the story that's not actually there, right? And we begin seeing all these things that the story doesn't actually tell us were there. And so in this story, they would have been walking by foot, right? From Nazareth to Bethlehem, about 80 miles journey. And when they got there, their feet had to be tired. Their bodies were sore, right? I get this image of Mary and Joseph limping into Bethlehem. If only there was a, um, what's that at Camp Creek, a beauty mart or beauty master, right? And uh, a nail salon. But here you have Mary and Joseph beat up by this 80-mile journey through the Judean desert. And they're worn and they're tired. They're weary. And she hadn't even given birth yet. You see, the first Christmas was an ugly Christmas. It was an ugly, ugly Christmas. And the nativity scenes that are on our front lawn often tell the wrong story. They portray the wrong image. But we have some friends who are going to sing a song for us that's going to maybe more clearly portray what it was like that first ugly Christmas. Let's listen as they sing. 
it was not a silent night. It was not an easy night. It was a labor of love, and God did it for us. You see, the thing I want you to see this morning most from that Christmas story is that a beautiful thing happened that night, but it wasn't pretty. Right? A beautiful thing happened, but it wasn't very pretty. You see, one of the most beautiful things I believe in life is the birth of a newborn baby, right? Whenever we see babies come into the world, and my, my wife likes to laugh at me um, because my sister's first child was born. I was there in the hospital with my face glued to the glass uh, looking at that newborn child because there's something, to me at least, that's, that's mesmerized by these young children that are filled with Potential, And even this morning, it's not on the slides. I kept thinking about this scripture uh, in Luke chapter 2 with Jesus where it says, and and I noticed this morning it actually says it twice. In Luke chapter 2 verse 40 it says, And the child grew and became strong. He was filled with wisdom and the grace of God was on him. And then at the end of that same chapter it says, And Jesus grew in wisdom and stature and in favor with God and man. And little children are almost like sponges, right? Any parent knows that. Children are soaking up what's happening around them. You think they don't see it, they see it. You don't think they don't understand it. A lot of times they understand it. They know it. They're learning it. And I love this image of Jesus that we have being born as a baby and being just like a little child soaking up what's going, like a little sponge, right? Soaking up what's going on around him and growing in wisdom and maturity and stature and growing into the man that God created him to be. It's a powerful, powerful story. But what God does in Jesus was beautiful, but at very few points along the way was it pretty, right? Because it was a path of hardship. It was a path of suffering. It was a path of struggle. And I even noticed this morning in my Bible that I had written here from last week that God doesn't, or last year this time, God doesn't promise to make the path easy. In fact, the road to Bethlehem was a road of suffering and sacrifice and that our gospel, our message about Jesus is lopsided if it includes all blessing and all goodness and all ease and all comfort and all comfortability and includes no suffering and hearts and struggle. You see, the reality of what I want you to see this morning is that God wants to do a beautiful thing in your life, but it will not always be pretty. Just like he did in Jesus, God wants to do a beautiful thing in your life, and it will not always be pretty. But you, just like Jesus, you're packed with potential, with, um, with purpose, and God wants to do something powerful in you. Now, whenever I talk about purpose, I like to slow down and, 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 and kind of break this down. Um, because I believe in our society sometimes we're taught to look for, to live for this one purpose that God created me for. Um, and that's just not true. And I love to say this, and that's that the moment God created you for is now, right? The purpose that God created you for is right before you you, right? We live for God every day in the moment, and that's our purpose, right? And and there are times when there um, there are either seasons or instances where things arise where God gives us the opportunity to live out some some, uh, more public purpose, but our purpose is not always this one thing that we're living towards, but it's the moment where we are in right now. And so God, just like for Jesus, God has purpose for you. He wants to do a beautiful thing in your life, but it will not always be 
pretty. And as we read the story of Mary and Joseph, I believe there's three things in this story that we can learn uh, from Mary and Joseph, three things that Mary and Joseph themselves learned from this journey. And I believe there's a, a reason why this entire story is included in the scriptures. And the first thing I want you to see um, is that, this, that Mary and Joseph learned that they must embrace discomfort, that you must embrace discomfort. All along the way, and I, I, was, I think about the story of uh, beginning when, when Mary um, was found out that she was pregnant with Jesus Christ, and she was just, she was the only one who knew at that moment, right? And there was this moment um, where, where she said, uh, where she said yes to God, and then I would imagine in that very next moment, this deep sense of fear and anxiety almost descended upon her, right? And it's like, yes, God, I will do it. And then it's how in the world am I going to talk to Joseph about this? How in the world am I going to sit down and have this conversation? And what if he responds this way? Or what if he responds this way? Or what if he responds this way? And that fear that Joseph might not respond in the way that, that she had hoped and not knowing how to have that conversation. And all along the way, there are these moments, these periods of discomfort in that story. But that discomfort, imagine if at one moment they turned around and decided, I'm not going to do it. And Mary said, hey, I'm, I just can't do this. Right? And if at any one given moment, if they turned their back on God's purpose, God's plan would not have been fulfilled in them. And so they learned that they had to embrace that discomfort. And in fact, that God does beautiful things, amazing things, incredible things through discomfort. And often God is trying to teach us something in the midst of it. And so we see in Mary and Joseph's life, hey, Mary had to say, Joseph, listen, this is what's happened. Not knowing how Joseph would respond. Joseph had to say to his family, hey, this is what's happened, not knowing how his family and friends would respond. Joseph had to pack his stuff and travel to Bethlehem with a pregnant wife, not knowing how that journey would go. They had to learn to embrace discomfort. I think this is an important lesson for us today because often there are times in the life of faith where we're called to do something and live out our faith publicly um, that, that, um, that, that are uncomfortable for us. Right? And if our faith is only active in times of comfort, right, in times of ease, then it's not true faith itself. Right? If our faith is activated by convenience, then it's a worthless kind of faith. The scriptures teach us that our faith often puts us in uncomfortable places and in situations that we wish we didn't have to face and in challenging times. And I want to challenge you this Christmas season as you look at this story. Maybe it's like Mary. Maybe it's that initial conversation you need to have with someone. You know you need to have it. You know it's the right thing to do. But it's an uncomfortable place to be in. Faith calls us to uncomfortable places. And Mary and Joseph learned real quick. They learned this lesson as they traveled to Bethlehem. You see, in an ideal world, well, let me say this. Let me go to the second point. The second point is following Jesus is not always the path of least resistance. <laughs> All right, yeah. Following Jesus is not always the path of least resistance. Look at, look, at, look at the story of Mary and Joseph. What was the first thing, right? They had 
First, Mary had to deal with this idea of Joseph. And what did Joseph, what was his initial reaction last week, right? He said that uh, he was going to divorce her quietly. Joseph decided in his mind that he was going to leave Mary. He just couldn't deal with this wife that was pregnant by God, right? Um, And then he decides to go ahead with it and to marry her. And then he had to face resistance and pressure from his family. Then they had to travel to Bethlehem and they had to go with that resistance because there was this um, this census that, um, that, 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 um, who was it? Caesar, yeah, yeah, had, had made an issue. This, season, this is such a common story. Caesar had, had said, hey, everybody has to travel to their hometown because there's a census and we have to count everybody. We have to figure out who's there. And this idea of, and it's falsely communicated in our society, um, that if I make a decision to follow Jesus, then all is smooth from that point forward, right? That all will go well for me, that God goes before me and totally clears the path, right? We take... Uh, uh, almost that, uh, what's that story in Old Testament? Moses and the Red Sea, where he cleared the path before them. We take that story and we take it and we, we read, we, I love that story, but we read that into every single situation as though God isn't going to put us through or allow us to go through hardship and trial and struggle first before the Red Sea is cleared, right? Um, the, the reality is this, that God goes before us. That's the only thing the scriptures tell us. The God goes before us, and therefore everything's going to be okay. It doesn't say God goes before us, and therefore you will have no resistance. It doesn't say God goes before you, and therefore the road will be easy. It doesn't say God goes before you, and therefore expect everything to work out the way you think that it should, and the way you planned that it would. But the scriptures are showing us time and time again, that God will allow us to go through struggle and hardship and challenges. And often in the midst of those, we're strengthened, right? And always in the midst of those, there's an opportunity for God to get the glory. You see, I think that in the Christian life, we have to view obstacles as opportunities for God to be glorified in us, for God to get the glory, and for more and more people to come to know who Jesus Christ is. And ultimately, we know the one who goes before us is carrying us to a place that we're safe and we're in his care. And so, yeah, we read this story, and I almost want to, from time to time, I want to say, now, God, why couldn't, after Mary said yes, why couldn't everything have turned out the way that she would have hoped, the way that she would have planned? Why why did this have to happen? And I thought to myself, just this week, I said, we wouldn't be reading this story and holding it up as a story of faith to encourage generation upon generation to come if everything had been just as smooth and easy as could be. You see, as we overcome challenges in our life, right, as we face obstacles, as opportunities for God to get the glory, right, as we endure hardship for the cause of Christ, right, our story becomes another story that's told that encourages generation upon generation to continue walking in the faith. And so, yeah, I love the fact that Mary faced Hardship. I love the fact that Joseph and Mary had to make a long journey. I'm glad that their feet looked terrible when they got to Bethlehem and they had those as signs of what they had been going through as they followed God and as they embraced discomfort along the road. But I think the scriptures call us to celebrate that in our own life 
as well. A sign of Christian maturity is when I say, I'm glad that I'm facing this challenge in my life right now because it's an opportunity for God to get the glory. I'm glad that I'm suffering this way right now because it gives me opportunities to show how big and powerful my God is. I'm glad that I face these hardships from day to day because it gives me an opportunity to reach up to heaven and to grab hold of God, the one who gives me strength and the one who will not let me down. I'm glad for where I am right now because it will encourage those who are to come. You see, that's a sign of Christian maturity and one that we're constantly working towards because oftentimes in the midst of struggle, in the midst of hardship, on the road to Bethlehem, all that we're able to see is that very next step, that rock in the road, that stone in the road that's going to hurt our foot, that's going to cause us to trip, that's going to make our journey a little bit more difficult. All you can feel is that heavy baby in the belly, right, for Mary, that's making this journey a lot more challenging. But what we see in this story is that they embraced discomfort, right? They went through the obstacles, the hardships, the resistance that they faced, and they gave birth to God's gift to the world. And I can't help but to believe that our lives become God's gift to the world as well when we, um, when we persevere through hardship and obstacle and struggle. You see, this story teaches us a lot about life today and the way God has called us to live. And I think this is something we have to work at, right? I don't think this ever comes natural. When, when hardship comes, nobody immediately celebrates that, right? That's, just, that's never going to come natural. If you're waiting for that, if you're, if you're coming to church and reading your Bible and praying and just waiting for that to just happen in your life, it's not. We have to choose to do that. We have to choose to rejoice in the middle of hardship and struggle. And that comes only out of a faith and belief that God is in control in the middle of it all, in the midst of it all, that God is in control. So the first thing I wanted you to see was that, we have, that Mary and Joseph learned to embrace discomfort, and we must learn to do that too. That following Jesus is not the path of least resistance, and I think we have to learn that as well. And then the other thing I want you to see, third thing, hopefully maybe final thing I want you to see, is that God doesn't work for us. God works through us. God doesn't work for us. God works through us. Now, this was really relevant in biblical times, especially in the Roman world, because in that world, people had their own household gods, right? So in each household, when you went into the house, they would have an altar, kind of a shrine to the god of their household, and they would pray to that god of their household to protect their home, right? To look after their home, to make it a place of prosperity, to make it a place of peace, to make it a place of wholeness, that things would go well for them in their residence, in their home, right? And so everyone had this house household God, and they believed that that God was, that God's role was to look after their family, to care for their needs, and that that God was totally focused on, on them, right? Um, and, and for many of us, and for many of them, even in that day, they took that household God and re- replaced it with the God of creation, right? They took that idol and replaced it with the God of creation, and we, and, and, and uh, end up with this view of God as a God who's 
sole responsibility, in a sense, is to look after our needs, to make sure we have peace in our home, to make sure that we're prosperous and don't lose our job, to make sure we don't go through hardship and struggle, to make sure that we're kept safe from harm, and God is totally wrapped up with making sure that we have everything that we need. And then when those needs aren't there, or when something bad happens, when that peace is disrupted, when the job is lost, that begins to say something about our God and his capability or incapability, right? His inability to care for our needs. But the scriptures are teaching us that God is not our household God. And God is not primarily concerned with making sure that you live this wealthy life or prosperous life or that you have nothing but peace, but that there's some things that God wants to do through you to bless this world. I believe that the birth of Jesus is a paradigm for how God works in this world. God didn't just give Mary a baby to celebrate, but God gave a gift to the entire world through Mary. I love if you go back even to the story of Luke in Luke chapter 2. I'm going to begin reading in verse 8 where I left off. It says, And there were shepherds living out in the field nearby, keeping watch over their flock at night. And the angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were terrified. Right? So these are shepherds. They're out there in the field. God appears to them. And shone around, the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were terrified. But the angel said to them, Do not be afraid. I bring you good news that will cause great joy for all people that will cause great joy for all people today in the town of david a savior has been born to you he is the messiah the lord so what god did through mary and joseph in jesus christ was not for mary and joseph alone but it was for the world in fact you can even view their life as god's gift to the world and I believe we can turn that around for our own lives as well. That your life is God's gift to the world. And that when we follow Jesus and we realize that God's not our personal household God, but that there are some things that God wants to do, not just in us, but through us, that our lives become God's gift to the world. And so this Christmas, while we're so wrapped up with, um, with buying presents and buying things and sitting around and thinking about what, um, what my um, cousin that I haven't spoken to in, in, in three months, four years, or however long might want for Christmas, or what my father, this is me, right, what my father might want for Christmas instead of another tie, um, uh, what so-and-so might want for Christmas, instead of thinking about that and being so wrapped up in that, I think this Christmas season we need to give some time and attention to how we can be God's gift to the world. You see, because God's not our personal household God, God wants to do some beautiful things through us, and I promise you that it will not always be pretty. It causes us through, to go through some hard times, some rough places. But the end result, the end result is worth the journey. You see, as I read the Christmas story, and in fact, the entire gospel from beginning to end, now the Bible never tells us this, but I don't believe that Mary 
stood there at the cross when she saw Jesus being crucified and regretted the journey from Nazareth to Bethlehem. I don't believe Mary looked back in that moment when the angel first appeared to her and she had that moment where it was, I don't know how I'm going to break this news to my family, to my husband. I don't know how I'm going to tell people that here I am, a virgin, I'm now pregnant, and God did it. I don't think for a moment Mary looked back and had regrets. Because as she went along that journey, she saw the power of God's purpose and God's potential through us being fulfilled. And she would celebrate that and rejoice over that and what God was doing and realizing as the journey continued that God is in control. I want to challenge you this Christmas. Maybe you're at a point where you can't see God, that God is in control at this point in your journey. Maybe you're facing something and you can't see how it's going to turn out. Maybe it's almost like going through a dark night, a cloudy night, and you can't see through the clouds. You can't see through the storm. And you don't know how God is going to work this out. Trust God along the journey. Trust him along the journey. Because there's moments in the journey where you look back and you celebrate and you rejoice because you realize that God had this all along. And your faith grows strong because of that. You see, God wants to do a beautiful thing in your life. It will not always be pretty. But as we give in to what God wants to do, as we submit ourselves to him, as we humble ourselves and say yes to God, we become God's gift to the world and God's blessings come through us. Let's pray.